Deanna, a couple of weeks ago, we began our conversations on the analysis related to uh, thinking about other religions uh, in the context of their differences with Christianity and uh, the obvious, obvious intent we have of wanting people to understand that Christ alone is the way of salvation and, and how do you have those conversations in a world where uh, uh, Christianity seems to be on the decline, other world religions seem to be on the increase or at the very least an idea of syncretism is on the increase and kind of all beliefs meld into one and all should be equal and like how do you navigate that world how do you have conversations we we began there and so we're picking up on that idea we've talked through catholicism we we wanted to talk about islam today um i, I uh, had mentioned to you i read an article uh, not long ago that uh, was um, from a survey and there's multiple surveys that get done every year uh, from religious sources. This happened to be a survey by fact and faith-based organization looking into what's going on in, in faith in our nation. And as the survey uh, was completed, it was pre-COVID. I thought that was important. So before churches went on shutdowns and lockdowns, the survey was complete. So their results didn't include kind of this fall off that you saw of church attendance all of a sudden in our nation and, and probably around the world related to COVID-19. But um, the survey found out uh, in, in the broad strokes that um, uh, according to the survey, Christian religions were on the decline by an average of seven and a half percent. And that included mainline Protestant denominations. They were on de decline by over 12%. Roman Catholicism was on the decline by about 9%, and Evangelical Christianity was on the decline by about 4%. So you look at Christianity, it's been on the decline, and that was a five-year look. So it wasn't a whole decade look, it was a five-year look. So over five years, Evangelical Christianity declined the least, but it still declined and at 5%. The interesting other side of the broad strokes was there was growing religion in our, in our nation, and that was Judaism and Islam. And they both grew uh, by uh, almost the same average that the others declined. Uh, so between seven and 10%. You're, you're seeing this continuation of a decline within Christianity mm -hmm. and the rise apparently in Islam and Judaism, which is rather intriguing when you think about it and it makes me wonder what it is that is drawing people to mm -hmm. these religions because in all three of them you have this man named jesus right right and all three of them would contend that they have a different scripture yeah. now of course christianity would say they hold to the hebrew bible as well right as well as the new testament so we would call it the bible they would call it the Hebrew Bible because it's only the Old Testament. Right. And then Islam has the Quran, but all three of them have Jesus in it. One of the things that I think about when encountering people is how we can look at Jesus historically as well as in light of the scriptures and be able to communicate 
the truth of who he is. Yeah. And where does the truth lie? And of course, we would say Christianity, yeah. right? Yeah. And some of those differences will come out in our podcast, but it starts with wh- how we view the scriptures. Yeah. And and I think, you know, you're pointing out there, there's some commonalities. And if we can relate to people with commonalities first and and, and we've been discussing this just in preparation. And um, when you start talking about Islam, our defense mechanisms kind of immediately arise uh, as, uh, especially I think, Midwestern or Southern region Americans. Yeah. Um, you you kind of have this uh, blend of Christianity and patriotism that, you know, harkens to the way things were and the way things should be. And so you you think about other world religions creeping in on your space and a defense goes up rather than stopping and going, wait, we're talking about people. We're talking about human individuals that have an eternal destiny. And so um, it's not a battle of religions. It's the realization that I'm talking about a person that's trapped in a false religion and I want to dialogue with them. I want to get to know them and share Christ with them. And so start with some commonalities. They they have a scripture and we have a scripture. It's not the same scripture when you're talking about Islam, but they have a holy book that they believe is truth. And so do we. Theirs talks about Jesus. So does ours. Jesus is part of their history. He's part of our history. Let's begin dialoguing there. We have some commonality so you can stop and go, hey, help me understand your religion. Tell me where you're coming from. Uh, What do you know about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? And begin with some common ground. And that really is such a helpful way of getting started in the conversation and allowing people to see that even in the Old Testament, when when we look at the Old Testament and we look at Israel and God was giving them different laws to live by, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look in Leviticus 19, and 34, I mean, it says, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Mm. And and you see this carry over into Matthew 22. And, and you hear mm-hmm. it a lot. You know, love your neighbors yourself. And mm. how do you want to be treated? And, and you want to be treated with kindness. You want yeah. to be treated with respect. And sometimes when people are, are different from us, then we sort of have this guard up. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have caution because I think that that's wise, right? We we have caution in different environments that mm-hmm. we find ourselves in, right? Yeah. But we also need to remember that Jesus sent us out into the world to mm-hmm. make disciples. Right. And that when we see people, and especially we come to the realization that they're lost, we want to be able to share the one true God with them. Mm-hmm. And, and to open up that conversation. And it's going to be more open if we speak with kindness and love and respect. And I don't know of any country I've ever been to or will ever travel to that doesn't have 
different people living in it. Right. Right. I right. mean, if you go to China, you're going to have people who are not native to China. If you go to other places, mm-hmm. and so God has sent the nations to us. Yeah. And we don't even have to get on a boat or get on a plane. We can probably just go across the street and find that we're living in this world of religions yeah. and be able to share who the one true God is. He sent he he really has set Christians in the center of nations. Yeah. Yeah. And and the idea of learning to love them as you do yourself, treat them as neighbor. It's interesting you're drawing out the Old Testament and how uh, even then he was sending his people into a foreign land and they were going to go and reside there. And he's giving them law about how to deal with the stranger. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this is this is how you love one another and care for one another. Here's how you reside with the stranger. And as the as the story of the Bible unfolds, uh, he then sends out his people to the nations, right, with the Great Commission uh, to make disciples of all people. And we have the opportunity uh, right here in our own country. If if the survey I referenced at the beginning is true, Christianity's on a decline, other religions are on, uh, on the increase, we're going to encounter more and more people who are different than us in their religious practice or understanding. And it's not just that we want to prove Christianity is right, if Christianity is truly the only way of salvation, mm-hmm. their only hope of not spending eternity in hell is to hear the gospel and trust in Jesus. We want to present Jesus to them. We want them to understand who Jesus is and follow him, not just win a debate of religions. Yeah, and it reminds me of when I'm talking to people sometimes, and, and especially being an apologist and you, you will hear them say, oh, well, you've won the debate or, or you want to win the argument. And the reality is, is that we want to win souls. Mm-hmm. And that's why people get equipped to be able to share the gospel, to be able to articulate their faith is because they want to help people see. And in the particular case of Islam, Muslims, they want to help them see that the scriptures that were left behind that bear the evidence and support for it being true is the Bible, the New Testament, and its truths about Jesus dying, being resurrected, and coming again. And within the Quran, you you don't have that same message. Jesus is just a prophet. Mm -hmm. And so being able to dialogue and talk about those things and, and to be able to be a vessel that God is using to share who he is, that that's what it's really all about, is being able to help people see truth. And Jesus, I, I love it when he's, you know, in front of Pilate and he says, you know, I came to testify to the truth. And, and here he is, you know, getting beaten, mm-hmm. getting ready to go to his crucifixion. And he's, he's stating these words. And so, you know, witnessing looks different in different places. Sometimes it might be in a jail cell. Sometimes you might be the person that's going to the jail cell to share with the people who are there in in those places. Mm-hmm. Um, so in whatever circumstance you're in, you can always testify to the truth. Yeah. 
it is helpful to understand your audience, know who you're talking to and something about what they believe. And in some respects, that's just uh, just being kind as well that, oh, I, I've heard something about that. Tell me more. Right. Um, to, to have good dialogue with someone, you, you want to understand their position. It doesn't mean you're agreeing that it's right. But I want to understand where you are. And it's good to have some information even going into that conversation. So thinking about Islam and talking some just about, that's what we want to do today, talk some about what is what is it that they believe and how is that different from Christianity? Because that helps you feel a little more confident if you do start talking with someone and you realize, oh, they're, they're coming from a very different religion than me. I know nothing about that. I better back away. Uh, no, if you have a little understanding, you can at least maybe ask a question or say, oh, I've heard something about that. Please tell me more. Uh, so uh, we'll just think some about those differences of Christianity and Islam. Of course, Islam begins with the claim that Allah is the one true God and Muhammad is his prophet, uh, meaning that he is the chief prophet, not just one of the prophets. They would see Jesus as one of the prophets, but Muhammad was the chief prophet. So they begin with that claim that's very distinct from Christianity. Yeah, and one of the things that is easily talked about within a friendship of these two different religious beliefs and asking, you know, who who do you think Jesus is? And I think that's why the question that Jesus was asking in the Gospels to the disciples when he says, who do you say that I am? And how do they respond? Well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're, you know, Elijah. Some say you're, you know, they, they go down the list. Mm-hmm. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And so when you're talking to somebody who's of a different faith, especially within the Islam religion and having a dialogue who do you say Jesus is why do you believe that Mm -hmm. and you know where does that come from have you read anything else on that and being able to read people who have come out of Islam and are Christians today sharing their faith in Islamic communities if you know anybody who's who's written a book on that you know hear their story to how they're dialoguing in that I know one of the ways that when we're looking at who Jesus is in particular, um, one of the books that is good to use is the book of Mark. You mm-hmm. know, what are Jesus' claims? Why is Jesus of Islam different from the Jesus of Christianity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're pointing out the Gospel of Mark. What a great, because it's short, it gives you snapshots, right? It gives you quick, but it just walks through Jesus' claim of deity. He is the Son of God in the Gospel of Mark. And so just again and again and again, showing you that he's he's proving power over the demons. He's proving power over the nature. He's, you know, just, he's showing how he is the Son of God. Um, I, one, of the, one of the big differences with um, Islam and Christianity also has has to do with the idea of um, the the Trinity uh, because they we we know the Bible says there's only one God it's God the Father God Creator He is He is the only God and and yet we understand the idea of the Trinity Jesus is God Holy Spirit is God and so there's this idea of the Triune God that is one. But when they're talking about there's one God, they're talking about Allah only. There is no Trinity. 
Jesus isn't the son of God. Jesus isn't part of the Godhead. Muhammad's not part of the Godhead. It's just Allah. That's another big distinction between Islam and Christianity. And so when you're talking to them about who Jesus is, you just have to realize that they don't see him as part of the Godhead. And we have to very clearly and distinctly say that we believe that to be true and show the evidence of that. Yeah, and some of the arguments that you're going to see them use, you know, when you're talking about the Trinity or, you know, Jesus being God in the flesh, things to that degree, then you're going to hear them say things like, well, yeah, but in your Bible, John 14, 28 says, the Father is greater than I. You know, if Jesus is saying that, then how can they be the same? How can you end up with a trinity and then you know in mark ten eighteen, when jesus says there's no one good but god right mm-hmm. and they'll say well why why is jesus saying that and so just be aware that they are going to use the scriptures that we have and mm-hmm. ask questions yeah. and we don't have to fear those questions because we have answers to those questions as far as we understand that Jesus was in his humanness as he was demonstrating full humanity mm-hmm. and recognizing that God what was and is wanting to interact and be among his people mm-hmm. and with his people. And we see that same idea run all the way from the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. right? He's walking with them in the tabernacle. He is with them through fire. In the end, when Revelation comes, we're at the banquet table with him. Yeah. He wants to be with his people and, and help them see how Jesus is making these claims. Mm-hmm. And the Jews recognize this Jesus is claiming to be God, right. and then and then being able to talk through and and recognize this God is three in one. It's yeah. the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, that's good. The fact that the Jews recognize it and see it, so it can be questioned. Well, why would he say that? Because then he's saying he's not God. But the response to his claim in John fourteen, they want to stone him. They want to kill him. Because they recognize, wait, you're blaspheming. You're claiming to be God. If you're not God, that's blasphemy, and you deserve to die. And, of course, he doesn't deserve to die because he's claiming truth. Uh, and so we do have an answer for that, and it's right there in the text. And, and so don't, don't be afraid of the differences uh, and, and the getting into those dialogues and conversation. And it's helpful that you be the one asking the questions. Uh, and and getting getting them to explain where their beliefs are coming from, um, because um, we know our beliefs are grounded in truth. As they dig down, as they drill down on why they believe what they believe, they're going to come up more and more empty, <laughs> right? Uh, because their their faith isn't grounded in truth. And so, by ask continue to ask questions, you cause them to begin to wonder and doubt. And um, people use the illustration of you put the pebble in their shoe that they may have to walk away on, and that's going to irritate them. Right? Okay, yeah. they asked me this question I couldn't answer. Why not? Um, what is the real answer? And that may be what the Holy Spirit uses. Uh, I heard an illustration not long ago uh, in terms of being a witness. We're always looking and praying for the harvest but there's work to be done before the harvest. 
you plant seed, you water soil. And so um, sometimes we're just doing the work of the farmer. We're not experiencing the harvest. So don't be afraid in those conversations. You may just be just put your overalls on and go farm. All right. That's all you got to do right now. Don't worry about the harvest. Trust the Lord with that. Uh, the two big questions it seems like we always come back to when it relates to other religions, who is Jesus and then the argument of the Bible? Because they do have a scripture, the Quran, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's not holy scripture. It's, it's not God-breathed. It's not accurate. We have the Bible. It's unique and different. And we, we can have a discussion with them over how we know our Bibles from God versus you know, the reliability of the Quran. Yeah, and they would definitely say that our Bible is corrupt, and it's been corrupted over time. And I think that's one of the places where it's more easy to talk about, because when you look back, the Dead Sea Scrolls really give a lot of affirmation toward the prophecies, Mm -hmm. and then Jesus fulfilling those prophecies, and then also the manuscripts to the New Testament. And so just a small amount of, of work in trying to put together some sentences over how you would talk about the reliability of the text. So one of the things that I like to use is the acronym ICE, and it actually came about over a process of teaching different apologetic classes with adults and students. And ICE just means internal evidence, that the Bible is making claims internally and when you look at the book of Luke, right, mm-hmm. he, he talks about he's writing this account to Theophilus and he's saying, I'm, I'm writing you an accurate account, right? So we know these claims that he's talking about and the claims that Jesus makes internally, we know that we can look at that and say, okay, internally it's claiming that it is truth. Secondly, it's a changeless text. When we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls that I mentioned a second ago, right. and we look at the New Testament documents and the scrolls that have been found and all of the accuracy of the New Testament, we can see that it's a changeless text today, if right. there's just a little bit of information on that. And then externally, we know that there are writers who were not Christians, like Josephus, and we could go into other ones, but not for this particular podcast. But just a small research on those will let you see that externally, that there are events regarding the Bible that would attest to its reliability. So you have an internal, a changeless text, and an external evidence that says the Bible can be trusted, and we can look at it and say, this is something from history that can be found to be reliable. Yeah. And the fact that it's so much older and can be proven is so much older than the Quran. So they can go, well, yeah. the Quran, it's this, it's this, it's this. And you can go, well, and here's the evidence for the reliability of the Bible. This is what I've learned. And <laughs> it's so much older. So it, it kind of predates where they're starting from and that that will cause them to... Uh, see and and maybe think about okay if I'm relying on historical evidence you've got a greater amount and a longer history so maybe there is something to that it's just a way to get them to think again and and talk because again like those are so helpful but we're not just trying to win an argument or prove that Christianity is better than Islam it's it's not better in terms of religion uh, 
Mm-hmm. It, we're wanting them to come to Christ. <laughs> Christianity is is what 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 we are because of our faith in Jesus, and so we want them to be saved. That's the goal. And I want to just say this one last thing. I know we're running out of time on this, but I just want to say one last thing. If there's a place where you say, I don't really want to go the direction of a, you know, like a logical argument. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that that's really going to fit this condition. That yeah. I don't think that's going to fit this conversation. Then tell the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Go from the creation account. Go to the end. Yeah. And then and then share with them this this coming again of Jesus, this assurance that you have in salvation. Share the Old Testament all the way through Revelation because I can tell you, not only is it more reliable, not only is it a better narrative, it's a better ending and there's assurance mm-hmm. in it. And not just because it's a better story, but because it's true. Right, yeah. Um, what a what a great word, and primarily because when you're dealing with people from that culture, uh, typically in an Arab type culture, storytelling is much more powerful to them than maybe logical argument. For me, the being able to remember the reliability of Scripture, who is Jesus, what's my proof for those things, that gives me confidence. I don't necessarily have to use all of those things every time I have a conversation, but that storytelling technique of creation, corruption, redemption, consummation. And like you say, it's it's the better ending and it's the true ending. And being able to paint that whole picture sometimes for somebody from a storytelling background will mean a whole lot more than I can prove these arguments are true. And remember, you know, it's a culture that they will be shamed if they Mm-hmm. If they leave their faith, yeah. a, gr- a great deal of shame would would mm-hmm. be within their path. So have empathy, recognize that this is going to be a journey for them yeah. and just continue to treat them like you want to be treated. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're at the very end of God harvesting their soul, you probably won't see a quick conversion It'll be a long time, a lot of conversations, a lot of relationship. Don't be afraid to be in relationship with them and build friendship and talk and talk and share and talk and be in life together. And like you say, treat them the way you'd want to be treated uh, by somebody asking you to do something that will literally upend their life. Uh, It will change everything about their background, their family relationships, for them to abandon Islam and to embrace Christianity and realize the weightiness of that and pray, pray, pray for them and love and be kind. Well, thank you for this dialogue. Uh, I I hope that will help somebody who's listening that perhaps is in a conversation with a friend or family member or coworker that has this background and their burden for their soul. They don't know what to do. Maybe this helps. And uh, if we can help you further, don't hesitate to reach out to us. There's so much more we could say and dialogue about related to this one subject. But we'll talk about another world religion next time. Deanna, thank you.